You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. But let me begin with an application. That's unusual. We normally don't start with an application, but I'd like to do that today. It's very important. It is good for the church to be on the go, but when we go out into the community, when we go into our neighborhoods and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, we need to make sure that we are going with love in our hearts. It is crucial, brothers and sisters, that we are filled with the love of God. The world needs to hear the message, yes, but they need to see that message having transformed your life. It's not enough to just be busy or to be active or to go. But as we go, let's share the love of Jesus all the way, everywhere we go. So if you will, stand with me one more time. We're going to be here in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6 and going through verse 11. And let's stand together on the word of God. Let's hear what it has to say. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage that reminds us of our commission, and it is great. But it is also a passage that reminds us of many of the mistakes or faults we are prone to make, Lord, and how we think, or emotionally, how we deal with things, or even just spiritually, Lord, trusting in you. And so, God, from this great passage of Scripture, I do pray you will show us where each of us individually, we corporately, are to go. But we want to make sure, God, that we go in grace that we're filled with the Spirit and filled with love. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, it's fun sometimes to talk about personalities, my personality, what I like to do, what I don't like to do. It's, it's kind of uh, one of those things where I, I'm, I'm sort of playing my cards where you can find out just how you know, weird I am. But anyway... So Jenny and I moved to Springfield about four years ago. We've lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth, what they call the Metroplex. So we, we've been in some cities with some uh, you know, big, big highways and, and lots of traffic. We lived uh, near St. Louis, not, not actually in St. Louis, but spent a lot of time in St. Louis traffic. I can tell you 270 ain't no fun on a busy day. So been in some cities, been in some traffic, but I'm going to tell you, Springfield is just weird. For four years, this is like no other place I've ever driven. And one of the things that I've noticed is this. A green light doesn't mean go in Springfield. I am two or three cars back. Somebody's up there. The light turns green. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. And I am counting, by the way. I am counting. And nobody goes. My wife and I just think it's the craziest thing. We've never seen a place where when the light goes green, people don't go. Now, here's what's funny. Here's the rest of the story. So as people are leaving uh, the first service today, I had two 
people, and I'm sure many more of them want to say the same thing. I've learned something about Springfield. That is a survival tactic because nobody going the other way is going to slow down. They're going to run the red light. So that's even worse, okay? We need, you know, this community needs Jesus and needs to learn how to drive, all right? So that being said, think about that just for a moment, that kind of, you know, when the light is green, it's time to go. Now, if we are true disciples of Jesus, operating out of a kingdom-minded church like Ridgecrest is supposed to be, we will be on the go. And it is a sin to stand still when the world needs gospel hope. Now, I told you about something that just kind of gets under my skin, but I'm telling you, I, I think that it is downright sinful for the church to have a message which says go, and our proclivity is to stand still. You noticed that in the text, didn't you? Now, again, think, the book of Acts is about action. I mean, A-C-T, it's right there in the name, act. But by the third paragraph of this book, you have disciples who are gazing, standing still, and not going as Jesus commanded them. That ought to tell us something. It took angels. Notice this. It took angels to get them out of that, that stupor. Those men in the white robes, I believe those are angels. They had to come and say, hey, didn't Jesus tell you to do something? You need to get going. I believe that here at the very birth of the church, the beginning of the Christian church, what we have is, is a reminder that all of us, if we're not careful, no matter how profound our religious experience has been, no matter how much we love Jesus, I think it's human nature to get in a standstill, to see that the light is green and not go. Perhaps you've witnessed a group of workers standing on a job site, and they're all standing around watching one poor chap work. Now, I think that this may be a relatively accurate representation of work in the church. It seems like we'll have those individuals who are, are very much on the go and looking for opportunities to serve, and then the rest of us are just kind of sitting around and watching. In fact, we're not necessarily even there watching them work. We're just sitting in the pews or the seats of the congregation in the room like this, uh, just experiencing Jesus a little bit. Um, on Sunday mornings. And so I want us to think about that for a moment. Is that where we are? Are we standing still instead of moving forward? And this is an important question because living things move. Dead things are stationary. So this could say a lot about your faith or the status of your faith. If you have a living, breathing faith, it should be moving. It should be on go. But if your faith is dead, then there's no motivation. A corpse has no motivation to move. I believe it's important for us to realize that it's going to take more than mission statements. I'm just old enough that I can remember when that was a big deal. Every church at one point, it was back in the 90s, I think, started to get mission statements. That was crucial. You couldn't even have a church anymore if you didn't have a clever mission statement. And I believe mission statements are good. But what good is a mission statement if the church is not on the move? Daryl Bach, who teaches down at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the best New Testament scholars, maybe the best uh, scholar in uh, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, he says this, the church does not have a mission. It is to be missional and is a mission. So I kind of like that. It's not about the words of the mission statement. It just should be in our DNA. It's not that we have just a mission. We're to be missional. We are a mission at root. In fact, that word mission is actually from a Latin root, same root where we get the word missile. 
We're supposed to get off the launching pad and go somewhere. But if we don't launch, then a missile is nothing more than a, a big cylinder containing fuel. It's just a very expensive fuel tank. I believe the church has all the fuel she needs to go out and change the world. I believe we do. Right here at Ridgecrest, we have opportunities uh, truly to go and fulfill the Great Commission, whether it's with our neighbors or to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the question is, will there be a launch? Will you go where God has called you to go? And the proclivity, the obvious answer here is that no, most of us will not go. We may be just staring and gazing. Let me just say this. It's also true that many of us are searching. We want to read our, our Bibles. We want to learn theology. We want to grow intellectually. All that's fine. But I'm here to tell you that, that, that if you're just staring into the scriptures or you're just listening to podcasts and sermons all day long and that's not making you more like Jesus, that there's something wrong. The more we hear the good news of Jesus, the more it should not only propel us to go, but the more it should make us a loving individual, loving the church and caring for those who are hurting. The Great Commission is here in Acts 1.8. Jesus has already mentioned it to the disciples before. We have the most extensive telling of this part of Jesus' commission in Matthew 28.18-20. And there it is not passive, and here it is not passive. It is a command for us to do something. And it's not just about inviting people to church and then stopping there. But I believe that Jesus is inviting us to a more wild-eyed, enthusiastic sharing of the best news the world has ever heard. It is not enough just to say, hey, come to church with me, but to really encourage people to find Jesus, to experience him. I think this is an obvious statement, but let me say it. If, if we are going to persist, and I'm not saying this is us, but if we choose to persist in passivity, if we are going to be a passive congregation, we will soon be a dead congregation. If we don't decide to be motivated and to go as the scriptures tell us to, then the work will not be done and the church, this one anyway, will cease to exist if you are ever gazing and never going, you are not living out authentic Christian faith. And if you'll notice there in verse 9, it says, as they were looking on. I wonder how many of us, if God were to say or to describe our Christianity, it would be as they were looking on. That that would be the extent. Yeah, you're at church. Yeah, you're listening to the gospel. But in terms of the action of your faith, as you are looking on, you're watching, you're waiting, you're expecting maybe someday to do something for Jesus. Well, today, I hope you realize that today is that day. We need to start today. And as I have already mentioned, I think that we need to think about this issue in three ways. We need to think about it as an intellectual issue. Okay, so why is it that our thinking isn't more go-oriented? Why are most churches more passive and just, you know, come in here and, you know, get a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of good music, a, a little bit of a good talk, and then that's the extent of your Christianity? So what's the thought process there? So we're going to ask that. What's the emotional issue? What, what's keeping us from going and doing the work of the kingdom? And finally, we need to talk about some base spiritual issues that we need to consider before we are ready to go. I want you to go, but I want you to realize that to do so, it begins with a clash of kingdoms. And let me tell you where that clash is. It's in between your ears. The clash of kingdoms begins in your ears. Your understanding of what it means to be a church, or let me just broaden it out. 
what the kingdom work of the church is could be different than what the scriptures say and what Jesus has taught us. So let's run up against that intellectual barrier first and let's talk about it in terms of a clash of kingdoms. Now we all have a way of interpreting the world and most of us had those ways of interpreting the world imprinted on us when we were very young. Our families of origin have a big part uh, to play in this. Many of the habits you have formed all the way down to how you interact with friends, your spouse, uh, your children, all those things we learned very early on. And as, as we know, if you've ever tried to kind of change your ways, you've heard of people trying to change their ways, uh, it's not easy. And any therapist in, in this room, there's, there's one or two in here, will tell you it ain't easy to change how you think, to have a, a change of course in terms of your mind and the way it's wired together. Now, when we have old habits that don't bring glory to God, if we have modes of thinking that do not honor the Lord, what should we do with them? We need to throw them in the trash can. If our way of thinking does not honor God, that is not good. Only Jesus can help us change, and quite frankly, only Jesus can change your mind. I learned a long time ago, I thought I was a really good preacher, that I could actually change people's minds, and you guys have uh, you know, shown me otherwise. Um, I can't just make you think the way I want you to think, and quite frankly, that wouldn't be a good thing necessarily, but here's the deal. We all need to uh, submit our minds. We often talk about submitting our hearts, but let me just say, why not submit your mind to God? Why don't you say, Lord, I want to think your thoughts. I want to know your will. This is not an impossibility because guess what? God has spoken. We have 66 books of the Bible. When you say, what is God saying? Well, read the book. He is speaking. And that should change how we think. When we go, we want to go with the mindset of God and of Jesus. Now look at this. Here in verse 6, right out of the gate. So when they'd come together, they asked him, notice the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I don't know if the resurrected Jesus did this, but if it were me, uh, I think he would roll his eyes. This is the same question that they were asking back in Mark 10. Like, okay, Jesus, when are you going to come and be our king, and we're going to roll over Rome, and we're going to have this big kingdom on earth, and we're going to do this thing that, that we've been looking for since the time of David. We're finally going to be the big guys in the neighborhood. We're finally going to have the armies we want, and we're going to conquer this world for God. Well, they really weren't, weren't wanting to conquer the world for God. If you go back to Mark 10, they were really wanting power. You see, when they first came to Jesus, they probably thought that they were going to be the brain trust. They were going to be the inner uh, circle of Jesus. And uh, how I know this is that James and John have an argument and say, okay, can I be at the right hand, Jesus? And can my other brother be at the left? Now, that's politics. That's power. That's thinking like the world. Now, you would think that a bunch of chaps who watch a guy die on a cross, uh, risen up from the grave, walking around, eating fish and other things, you would think that maybe now they get it that his kingdom is something bigger and better than another castle, another government, another way of doing a business in this world. You would think they would know, but they ask the same question. To my point, it is hard to change. It is hard to have a spiritual mindset in a physical world, a material world. A Christian passport should say a citizen of heaven, but most of us are still trying to live as though we are citizens of this world. 
It wasn't a teaching, though, that Jesus had just reserved for his post-resurrection ministry. He had talked about the kingdom of God from the beginning. In fact, if you go back to Mark 1, when Jesus starts his ministry, listen to this. He says, the time is fulfilled, verse 15, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how Jesus' ministry started. He started by telling his people that they were going to experience the kingdom of God. So it wasn't that Jesus hadn't been talking about it. It's just that the disciples had not been listening. As every parent knows, listening is hard. But as anyone who has tried to be discipled in Jesus knows, listening to Jesus is really hard. Jesus does not have easy things to teach us or tell us. And our culture's vision and version of Christianity is not always anchored to Jesus' teaching. I want you to listen to this. This is where we have to be very careful. Cultural Christianity isn't always bad, but it very quickly can become bad. It's kind of like a piece of fish. Leave it out of the refrigerator for an hour or two, it's going to stink. I'm going to tell you, it's the same way with cultural Christianity. You can start with the best ideas and the best motivations, but it stinks the longer it's out, especially if it's not from Jesus. Our desires to have entertaining services, bigger buildings, and comforting sermons find no parallels in the biblical text. That's where, now think about that. I, I'm saying when I talk about cultural Christianity, our culture puts entertainment at a high level. And so if we go to church, we expect to be entertained, right? Beyond that, uh, we, we want bigger buildings. So like if we start to get crowded, oh, we can't have people, I can't have the, um, the inconvenience of multiple services or people sitting next to, imagine this, other people. And so, so we have to have bigger buildings, and then the pressure is ultimately on a pastor to every week to just bless your heart, to comfort you, to make you feel like you're okay and everybody else is okay. Well, I learned a long time ago, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to preach the word and step on your toes and hope you still like me at the end. If you don't, oh well. But here's the deal. What are you seeking? Cultural Christianity would say that all of those are values that are, are worth having, and that's how the church gets big. But if you think about it, we may just be catering to the lowest denominator there, and that's not good. I think Jesus puts it best in Matthew 6, He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. That's what we ought to be doing. That's a mindset shift. That's changing the way you think so that it is not just about you. Uh-oh. Now, here for just a moment, those of you who are Star Wars fans, you're just going to love this for a moment. Let me quote Yoda, not with the voice because I can't do it, but you need to unlearn what you have learned. Remember when Yoda says that to Luke? Well, I think that's a wonderful line for most of us as Christians. And listen, the reason we have to unlearn is because our culture has taught us certain things about Christianity that aren't in the text, that are not Jesus' priorities. So all I'm saying is this. I don't care what culture you come from. I don't care what part of the world Christianity has found expression. Over time, that expression is going to take on cultural components. And those cultural components cannot be the major thing. They can be a part of it. Let me tell you, in Kenya, they like to dance at church. Church. Most of you as Baptists, if you saw somebody dancing, you would think that was a sin. You would think wrong, but nonetheless, that's what you would think. Now, I'm not telling you to dance because I've seen some of you, and it's probably not going to work, okay? You ain't got no rhythm. Neither do I. The point is, is that like when we go to another culture, we're like, oh, wow, they do, they do this different. You know, they're dancing, and it's okay. I mean, as, as being brought up a Baptist, like that's the first thing I noticed in Africa. I was like, man, my grandpa would not worship here, you know. But it's okay 
See what I've done? I have, I have put my cultural expectations on a group of people who are just loving the Lord. And you maybe have heard me say this. I asked my brother David, uh, pastor there in Africa, I said, why do you guys dance so much? He says, we don't waste music. See, so it's just a mindset. But I want you to just think, just because we do it here or don't do it here, doesn't make it necessarily right or wrong. But the point is, we need to allow ourselves to think deep enough to think about how we're thinking. And if what we are doing as a church is too earthbound, then we need to realize we need to let that go. So what does the church, what kind of mindset does it have? Well, the church on the go has souls on its mind. People need Jesus. It's that simple. And if we don't have souls on the mind, then we begin to operate the church, not in a kingdom way, but in a corporation kind of way. The world values money, power, and growth at all costs. That's not who we are. We love people. We love souls. Every single one of you have an eternal component inside of you that will spend forever with God or apart from God. That is the baseline thinking of everything we do. You have a soul, and it matters, and it counts. And success is not something we want to define in purely human terms. We cannot say it is successful around here or we're being successful if it's just numbers and finances. Success is being faithful to the word of God and trusting the results to Jesus. What we want in terms of success is for you to be saved. If you're not a believer, that means to believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life. That's where we want to start. And then we want to help you become a disciple in Jesus. It's not much more complicated than that. And if we're not careful, we'll add on cultural components to that that will literally strangle like weeds in a garden the fruit of the Spirit. We want to stay focused on the things that God would have us do. We want to make the most of our time. We want to be prayed up read up in the word and discipled up together. If we will do that, we can be kingdom focused. Jesus' kingdom vision for the church extends to the whole world. We can't afford to have a vision too small, too selfish. I've shared with you before that it's been a long time that I've been in the pulpit. I've pastored churches in three states and I've had just tons of blessings in doing it. But I'll tell you, the problems I've seen in the church are usually because of a problem with thinking. And it, it, sometimes it's my thinking, by the way. I'm not just saying that the church has problems. I have this problem, too. And the, the, the issue is, is when we get too small in our thinking and too selfish. If you've been in, in churches for a while, especially smaller churches where you've been to business meetings, you'll notice that most of the, the, the clashes have to do with selfish things. What I want compared to what you want. You see, that's a mindset problem. That's not a kingdom mindset. That's a human mindset. At work... I guess that's okay, but it's not okay in the kingdom to be the one that's always trying to get their way. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way it works. We have to have a mindset shift to the Savior. We have to ask Jesus to give us the mind of Christ, because if we don't have the mind of Christ, we'll have a mind of our own, and if I have a mind of my own and you do, we'll have trouble. That's too small. God's kingdom is much bigger, but that brings us to the emotional barrier. Overcoming fear in our witness. It's interesting that this great commission in chapter 1, verse 8, before he tells us to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, notice what he says. He speaks of the power that we have. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, the power is absolutely necessary. To go to the ends of the earth? Well, yeah, but let me show you something else. Why do we really need this power? Why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? I think 
that we, if we're honest, would say the reason we need this power is because the place we're most afraid of is Jerusalem. The hardest place to be a faithful witness is your neighborhood. The easier place, now now listen to me, I know it's not cheaper, I know it's not easier to get on a plane and go to the other side of the world, but in many ways, the hardest place to share your faith, you know it and I know it, is your neighborhood, your place of work, or with your family. Those are the hardest places. An early church father said this of this passage, the place of greatest fear, Jerusalem, is where they must preach first. So the reality is, is that these disciples were being called to preach the gospel in the most dangerous place on earth for Christians. It wasn't Rome, it was Jerusalem. Think back with me just to the end of the gospel. You have the entire city, or most of the people there in the city, they are very anti-Christ. In fact, when they, are brought, when they bring Jesus before Pilate and they, they're there having that moment, the, the majority of the people say what about Jesus? They say, crucify him. So if you are a believer, if you're one of the disciples and you've been called, you're, okay, all right, we're going to take the gospel. Where are we going? Well, we're going to go to the place where they kill Christians first. And then we're going to take the gospel to places that don't, don't know anything about Jesus. Well, if you give me the choice, I want to go to the place where nobody knows anything about Jesus because there's a track record in Jerusalem and those people are mean. I don't want to go there. In fact, I'm upset with those people because I've seen the way they've treated Jesus. I've seen the way they've treated me. Those people, they have faces. When they think Jerusalem, faces are coming to their mind. They can see Pharisees. They can see the people who had spit on Jesus. The very ones that they thought would have no hope to ever go to heaven the Spirit of God says, I want you to go share this faith with them first. There's a barrier here, and the barrier is fear. I don't need to tell you what fear is. Some of you are feeling it right now. The thought of sharing your faith with someone else, you're giving me every reason. You're not saying it out loud, but in your mind, you're telling me that you don't have the background or experience. You're an introvert, not an extrovert. We either go to, I don't know enough, or I know myself so well, or we have a reason. We all have a reason for why we don't do it more. But here Jesus is calling these men to go into a hornet's nest. But the enemy wants you to dwell on fear. As long as you keep fear as your best friend, you will not go. The power to overcome fear must come from the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, I think the hardest thing where the most fear is, is closest to home. Jesus knows his disciples will receive power, that they're going to have the power they need to face every obstacle in Jerusalem, in Rome, and beyond. But I want you to hear this. The first disciples of Jesus, they did not need big buildings or big budgets. They needed something more basic. They needed courage. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We don't need those trappings, and many times they are trappings. They needed the Spirit's power, and so do we. We may have big budgets and beautiful buildings, but do we have courage? We need courage, courage of our convictions to take the gospel. You will stay there at that stoplight much longer than you need to because of fear. But the world needs to hear our message. The world needs you to take the gospel to them. And fear robs us of our opportunity to shine for Jesus. Paul said this 
Do not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If we believe that, then we need to have courage to share that. The power of God. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. We need to take salvation to all who will hear it. Now, here's a little bit of preview of coming attractions. The reality is the disciples overcame their intellectual barriers. They overcame their emotional uh, fear. And they did go into the world. And how we know that is the rest of the book of Acts. In fact, if you look, Acts 1.8 goes from being a command from Jesus to the table of contents for the book of Acts. If you take Acts 1.8 and see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost, you'll see that is the exact sequence that the gospel goes out. And so now we realize the command becomes a table of contents. Let me ask you this. Will you take the command of the Lord today? Because if you will believe in the command of Jesus and be faithful, what is a command will become the table of contents for the rest of your life. You see, the Great Commission doesn't become your story until by faith you act. And it begins in Jerusalem. For you, that's Nixa or Republic or Springfield or uh, wherever you are from. You are told, you are called to take the gospel to the people around you. You won't overcome your fear without the Holy Spirit's help. But the Holy Spirit is here to help. If you ask for it, you will receive it. You must believe and rest in the power of the resurrected Christ. And that brings us to our third and final point, the spiritual barrier. Resurrection, life's power over death. You need to start thinking as Jesus would have you think. You need to overcome fear. The fear of witnessing. The fear of being a Christian in a non-Christian world. Okay, This is a world where the majority do not believe. In fact, as I was studying this morning, it just occurred to me. I don't have one second guess or thought about the fact that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, died it was buried in a tomb and three days rose again. Not only that, he walked around, ate, you know, some Long John Silvers with his, with his mates, and then ascended up into heaven in a cloud. Now, think about it. I said that kind of flippantly because if you heard that story, say, in Norse mythology, you would say, well, that, I don't believe that. I, you mean a guy rode up on a cloud? That, that sounds untrue, but it's true. How do I know it's true? I know it's true because men who saw it recorded it. And the men who saw it and recorded it eventually gave their lives for Jesus. And as C.S. Lewis rightly observes, nobody is dumb enough to die for a lie. But they will die for the truth. And the disciples that became apostles to a man, with the exception of John, died horrible deaths because they believed in Jesus. The historical evidence is overwhelming, and I'm not here to, 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 to bore you with all that, but let me tell you, I have no problem with a, a thinking person in this room saying, I want to investigate that. Well, come on, brother. Come on, sister. Let's go as deep as you want to. Jesus is true. He is real. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? We believe that, don't we? Don't we believe that? Then why ain't you going? Why ain't you sharing? You see, it is something of a trap. We know the answers. We know what's right. But do we have the power of God? Yes, you do. You have the resurrection power of Jesus. This is wonderful, amazing truth, but it must be shared. You have raw power from heaven, but it does you no good if you sit still.
verses 9, 10, and 11. When he had said these things, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, that's common sense. The higher you go, the cloud's covering him up. But then, and while they were gazing into heaven, and can you blame them? It's a pretty amazing thing to see. As he went, behold, two men stood by them in the white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I'm just kind of curious. Are you just standing there? If you, today, if you drive by Chesterfield over here, wherever, and you see somebody just out in the field doing this for like an hour, you're going to say, well, it's time to go get some help. <laughs> but I wonder if, if you thought about it, if you were to extrapolate your worship, your religious life, and what are you doing? If all you're doing is sitting in a seat one hour, two hours a week, and really not doing any more than that, I'm not sure that's any more sane than the other guy. I think too many of us are standing around gazing and not going. But we need to get moving because Jesus is returning. Look at verse 11. Men of Galilee, the angels say, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, the men in white robes, I'm assuming these are angels. I don't know. You tell me. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I believe that it took angels shaking these early Christians out of their lethargy, and I'm wondering if we don't need the same. God needs to shake us up, because here's the deal. If we don't get shook up, if we don't get moving in the right direction, the best way to be defeated is to stand still. If you're a hunter in here, you know it's much easier to hit that deer if he's standing still as opposed to if he's on a full run. It is harder to hit a moving target. So the church, in my view, if it's on the go, will we still get hit by satanic powers? Absolutely. He's a pretty good shot. But I think we've got a better chance. Here's the deal. You can either suffer standing still or you can suffer on the move. And church, I think Jesus is calling us to suffer on the move. We're going to have heartaches and pains. We're going to have setbacks and failures. But I'd much rather be moving somewhere, moving in the right direction, going on green, going in the direction that God's called us, than just sitting there looking at our phones. Because I think that's what most of us are doing when we're not going at the red light. You know how that goes. I think that's what some of us are doing in worship. We're looking at our phones. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's you. Uh, that's the Spirit telling you to stop that. But anyway. we got to get going. We gotta get moving. We gotta stop making excuses. We have to get serious. Listen, whatever you're looking at on your phone ain't gonna help you get closer to Jesus. It's just not. We need to get serious about what God is doing in our church. And we need to realize that we have the power of the resurrection that can move us and motivate us beyond the sluggishness of our current situation. God has something good for the church when it's on the go. So let me just give you a reminder of what we've talked about here today. Three basic truths. What does it take to stay on the go? Concerning our minds, the kingdom of God must defeat our visions of the kingdom. I would even put that second word kingdom maybe uh, lowercase. Uh, it's uppercase in my notes and it is there too. Um, your kingdom is not an uppercase kingdom. It's a lowercase kingdom. It's, it's actually a very petty kingdom and you need to let it go. Okay? Your kingdom is not as cool as you think it is. But God's kingdom is everything. We must surrender our thoughts. Notice that. Not just what you're doing, even your thought life is the Lord's. That's how we overcome the barrier of intellect. Secondly, concerning our emotions, we must let the Holy Spirit give us victory over fear. 
And don't forget, the greatest fears are the known quantities, not the unknown. Now, I know that, that I, I, this would be a great thing to have a conversation with people who know more about this than me, but, you know, anxiety is generally not knowing what is out there, and that's scary. But I'm going to tell you, that's one kind of fear. But when you've got, when you're looking into some really ugly situation, that's a whole nother level of fear. And I think when it comes to us sharing the gospel with our family members and our friends, I think that's the scariest thing of all. Because that's a known battle. Like, you know that that's going to cause friction. And thus, I think that brings greater fear into our hearts. When we think about going on a mission trip, we're like, you know, that could be scary, but I don't know what they're doing in Tibet. This might just work out fine. I don't know. I'll just go and see what happens. That's one kind of fear. But knowing that by sharing the gospel with a dear friend, you may lose that friendship, that's serious business. And yet, the Spirit says, go. We need to overcome our emotional barriers, namely our fear. Don't forget, it's closest to home that the fears are greatest. And then concerning our souls, we have resurrection life in us. And resurrection life is always in motion. Don't stand still. Living things move. If you have resurrection life in you, there is no reason, no uh, excuse for setting still. Living things, especially things that are empowered with the resurrection, they move. So let me just ask you, are you moving? Do you feel like you're moving in the right direction? Are you a Christian on the go? Because for us to be a church on go, you need to be a Christian on go. Come to the altar. Let's begin that process together. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.